Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I am a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Today's episode is a mini-sode that we call Fried Dates with the Wife. In these mini-sodes, my wife Kim and I deconstruct the strategies that we've developed over the last decade to not only grow personally, but to turn our struggles into lessons and create fulfillment in all areas of our lives. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Let's dig into today's topic. Happy Friday to you, my lovely wife, Kimberly. Happy Friday to you, my hustle. Hey, you know what we're talking about? What are we talking about? Today, we are talking about how we effed up (laughs) and succeeded in parenting all at the same time. Uh, Yes. They are going to learn the most important key to parenting, the importance of the first five to seven years, and how to not let your past insecurities leak into your parenting. Okay, here's the deal. We have two kids, our 20-year-old and our three-year-old. Yes, you heard that. We began dating when my eldest was five and we've raised her together ever since. And those last 15 years mm -hmm, have been (laughs) a real education. All right, so we got to be real here. Parenting is so worthwhile But this shit ain't easy. You mess up a lot. These little things don't come with a manual or a handbook. I wish they did, but they don't. They just show up and you got to figure it out. So Kim, let's talk about number one. Let's talk about the biggest key that we learned. Well, you know, full disclosure, we are not like child psychologists, specialists. We're just parents. You know, a lot of parents have these kids back to back. And so they have like a four and a five-year-old and they go through these stages together with both kids. But we have blessing and the curse to have them, you know, about 16 years apart. So we get to do it twice. But yeah, the first key, you know, this is a big one. And we actually learned this from our short stint in marriage counseling. And marriage counseling kind of went like this. All right, you guys have an amazing relationship. I don't actually have people in here that have an amazing relationship like this. But here's where you're messing up. You're messing up because you're not a united front. If you would just get that one key you guys would do so much better. Being a united front is not easy in general because you have two people you know, in a relationship. And those people came from different backgrounds. They have different upbringings. They have different beliefs about upbringing. And so you're going to clash with your spouse at some point about raising your kid. And I would argue that in a blended family like ours, where I came in when our our oldest was five, that can get even more difficult and complicated because there's a whole host of other things going on. We came from wildly different backgrounds. I mean, if you look at your parents and you look at my parents and the way they did things, they did things very, very differently from each other. So consequently, we do things very, very differently. And so trying to figure out like, why is she doing this? Why am I doing this? And then digging your feet in and going, yeah, I'm not doing it that way. I'm doing it this way. All you're doing is creating this fragmentation. And guess what the kid does? The kid goes, okay, well, if I can't get it here, I'll just go there. And then what you wind up doing is creating this this weird dynamic where you've got one kid aligning with one parent and it just doesn't work. It creates a divide. It just doesn't work. So we had to say, okay, 
You and I got to figure our shit out with each other and go, whatever we decide to do, let's do it together mm-hmm. as a united front against <laughs> the, the enemy, enemy okay? <laughs> or the enemy, the inmates are going to take over the asylum here. We've got to do that. And so that was the biggest struggle early on that we had to make. Now it was it was a concept that we had to learn. But when you get in state and real issues come up, that shit's not easy. So we had to really, really go through a lot of trouble to figure out how to become a United. I want to be real here and be honest. You know, it was really hard. I am way more strict and my husband is way more um, lenient in things. And once we learned this United Front concept, if there is a decision, if the child is asking for something and one parent makes a decision, the other parent has to uphold it or... We also learned that, you know, we could take it in, an, in another room. So ask yourself when you're in this situation, are we being a united front? Is the decision that she just made the decision that I'm going to back her in and vice versa? And if the answer to that question is no, because I think differently, then you two need to get back in the bedroom, have the conversation until you come up with what it is. Because what you have to do is you have to teach the kid that when a decision is made by either parent, that that is the decision. Yeah. And, you know, and that parent, I think the biggest one is that parent has to be the one to change the decision. And it's not the white horse parent gets to come in and save the day. You know, and here's a funny one that we did. So, you know, like every child in on the planet, when that child goes to the lenient parent and asks for something and the lenient parent is about to say, yes, like I remember one morning she walked in and literally went to Rob's side of the bed and said, hey, dad, can I have ice cream for breakfast? And he goes, yep. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened there? (laughs) How'd that happen? And I wanted to jump in. Now we have, uh, or we created a code word and we decided to use silver squirrel. (laughs) And so if I... Do you know why we came up with that? No, have no idea. If I heard her go into the kitchen and say, hey, dad, I knew to perk my ears up and listen. And it was a way of us agreeing on something or giving an opinion on something without the child knowing. And so she would walk in, ask him for something. And if it was something that we had, I had already discussed with her and said no to, because you know, they like to, if they don't get it from one, they get it from the other. Then I would yell silver squirrel. He would know exactly to back me and say no. Actually, as you're telling this story, I'm being reminded of as she got older and texting came into the picture, you would shoot me a text and you'd say to me, if Demi texts you, Silver Squirrel. Yeah. And because you didn't have time to go through the text or explain the story. So sure enough, the phone would ring and go, Daddy, Kim said that, and then I would go, no. Or they wouldn't, they don't even say they already asked the other parent because they'll get a no from one and then they want it, you know, to try the other parent to see if they'll get a different answer. So again, United Front, come up with a a, a safe word. (laughs) We're going to call it a safe word for that. All right. Let's talk about the other thing, which I think is really important. And that is that the first five years of a child's life is everything. So if your kid is six, I mean, you're just shit out of luck right now. There's nothing, there's nothing you can, no, I'm teasing. They say five to seven years. Some experts say five, some say seven, but at the end of the day, it's those formative years that are the most important. And this is, this is critical for not just 
who they are, but their development. It's critical for how they learn in the relationships that they're going to have. It's critical for the adult that they're going to become. You don't realize what those first few years of their life, truly how big a role they play in their character and their personality and everything. The first five years of life, I was so much less involved because of... For the older one. For the older one, because of work, you know, I could chalk it up to me being 30 something at that time and, you know, trying to conquer Poland. And I I looked at everything outside of work as an obstacle. If I had the 20 or 30 minutes to lie on the floor and roll around with her or giggle, I'm not going to say I wouldn't do it. I'm going to say I would do it, but I was preoccupied. I would do it for a certain period of time before I knew I had to leave because I always viewed work as a higher priority, because I would say, you know, I'll see her tonight or I'll, we'll do it on the weekend or we'll go out to dinner on this night. And it's those little things that add up to create the formation of those first, you know, five, six, seven years that I learned. So if you are a 30 something dad now, trust a 50 something dad who has a three year old that you will be so grateful that you took the time to do this and realize that your business will be there, but your kid is going to get older and they're going to be gone. And it's not even, I mean, it's, and that was beautiful. And I think you give yourself honestly a hard time for this. I think you looked at your role more as the breadwinner and you had to go out and slay the dragon so everybody could eat and live a great life. And yeah, but here's here's the but thing. But you didn't I, realize that these things are what shapes the kid. And so I I and I also know that you would spend Saturday mornings, you know, washing the car or the motorcycle or whatever. And you did spend quality time because when I came around, you were teaching her Tony Robbins, I am the voice. You were teaching her all of these things. And the moments that you had, you just didn't take a lot of those moments. And the overall what you put into her first five years, I don't think is at the level because of work uh, that you wanted it to be. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, that, that, that's totally fair. And so for me, you know, when, I, when, I, when we had Sophia, you know, we had Sophia about 10 years after we started uh, or we got married. We'd been together for a long time. And our older one was about 16. And I had her... The joke was I was going to go back into the office. I know the moment they put that baby in my arms, the moment I saw her... I knew that that's not what I was going to do. Um, Rob, share with everybody what you what little rituals that you have with her because you have so many that you've built in that are a part of her life. Well, what I try and do is I try and find the... Uh, I, I try and see if I got a good audience. Do you know what I mean? Is the audience clapping? Is the audience <laughs> having a good time? Or is it torture? So I try and... Uh, I got to throw a lot of shit up against the walls to see what is resonating kind of literally. Yeah, to see yeah, right. <laughs> to see what's resonating with her at that time and and uh, you know, it changes, right? So I can't play the, you know, here here's my give me a kiss but she really sucks my nose for very long because you know, she's not like a little baby anymore, right? So I got to find new new things to do. So one morning um not that long ago, a couple of months ago, I taught her how to play I Spy. So we live in a uh, we live in a high rise. We live on the nineteenth floor. We look over the city. We got you know big floor to ceiling glass windows. So in the morning before the sun comes up, I sit out there and I say I Spy with my little eye, and I'll point to something, a street light, and she go there, there it is. And so she th- just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Well, what happened was the next morning she woke up to do I Spy 
because early, <laughs> early, and I was like, whoa, because that was the time that you know I get up early and I meditate and I I do my morning journaling, etc. And she comes running out to do I Spy. Well, that has turned into a seven day a week job. Okay, <laughs> so now like I have to get up exceptionally early because I got to go to work. I got to go to I Spy work. I mean, that's what I do. I do it, and it is like it's game on. Like she comes out with the pillow and you know the stuffed animal, and she's like, I want the chair, you know, positioned in this position, and let's go. Yeah, and so and that kind of leads us into you know things that you can do that are really that we've kind of learned, failed at and succeeded at in different areas. Esteem, self-esteem is one of those. So, you know, we have a lot of kids right now that are suffering from low self-esteem. My opinion is that these kids weren't allowed to fail, therefore build esteem for themselves. So you cannot give esteem to your child. You cannot build their self-esteem with fake things. I was really blessed with parents that allowed me to fail. And they allowed me to um, pick myself back up and do it again and succeed. And that is what builds self-esteem. You can't tell a kid how amazing they are and think it's going to build their esteem because that's hollow. And even if they are amazing, they have to earn it for themselves. They have to feel what that feels like. And they have to build that esteem by honestly allowing them to fail and try again. And you can be there to support them and cheer them on when they try again. And you can be there to hug them when they're crying, but they still have to earn it themselves. Look, self-esteem is earned, right? That's why it's called self-esteem. That's why it's called self-esteem. All right. So on to the last one, how to not let your past or insecurities leak into your parenting. And so this is hard because we do this as humans, right? Rob, you're always saying to me that we filter everything through our own experiences. And so that ends up happening with kids. And, you know, my dad's a basketball coach. So I always have him in my ear saying, you know, I remember him when I was growing up talking about all these parents that were trying to live out their basketball dreams through their child. What we wanted as a kid tends to get pushed onto them so they can play out our fantasy, so to speak. It's so easy to do it. You know, like I've got a kid right now that that I sent, that, you know, she got into uh, San Diego State and she's discovering it ain't for her. It is not easy for me because if somebody were to say to me when I was a kid of high, high school age, getting ready to go to college, hey, look, I'm going to send you to San Diego and I'm going to take care of it all. I would have done backflips to have that opportunity. You'd actually go right now. I would go today, right? But for her, she's like, yeah, you know, I don't, I just don't know if it's for me. And that is a real struggle for me. And frankly, it still is a struggle for me. It's getting easier to understand that she has a path and my path isn't her path. We have to not live our life through our kid and be able to get the hell out of their way and let them be them. For that, you're an incredible father. And I truly believe that. Thank you. See, this is why I love you. This is why we're going to go another, uh, we're going to go at least another day, at least <laughs> another day with each other. Well, that's it. That is our parenting tips. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. Thank you for allowing us to be in your ears and share our thoughts. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. 
it's time to live.